Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Spiritual Queen's Badass Podcast. My name is Emma Mumford and I'm your host. I'm an award-winning blogger, YouTuber, life coach, badass entrepreneur, manifester, and author. My mission is to awaken and to inspire women to live their best lives now and to find their purpose in life. I do this through sharing the power of law of attraction and spirituality. I hope my podcast will inspire you to raise your game and to start living your best life today. Without further ado, let's get started with this week's episode. So thank you so much guys for joining me for another one of my Spiritual Queens Badass Podcast episodes today. I am super, super excited for our next guest, who is Mr. Elliot Gleave, or you may know him as Example. So Elliot is better known by his stage name Example. He's an English musician, singer, songwriter, rapper, and record producer. Example first found success with the release of his second studio album, Won't Go Quietly, back in 2010, which peaked at number one on the UK dance chart. You may also know Elliot for his incredible number one chart-topping songs, Change the Way You Kiss Me, and Kick Stars. So for one, I am so excited to have you here today, Elliot, because you know I've loved your music for many years. So thank you so much for being I've seen here. Your name, I've seen your name pop up on my Insta and Twitter <laughs> for years. Maybe, I don't know, it feels like maybe three or four years um, mm. that maybe I've been replying to you or, you know, because you're, you know, sometimes you're just complimentary about stuff and other times you, you might just tag me in something randomly. So you obviously, you know, you like the music, but then I, I sense that you, you know, chatting to you because your name popped up when you asked me to do this, because I get a lot of requests to do random radio shows or random podcasts. I often think, um, do I, you know, do I need to do this? Is it worth it? And I, it's not about all me, 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 me. I think, mm. can I help someone or is this relevant to me? Have I got anything to say on the issue? Would I want to listen to the podcast? But in your case, I think because your name, I just kept thinking of Mumford and Sons and obviously your name <laughs> kept popping up. And I thought, when you think, oh, I've had interactions with this person or they've been on my radar for a while and vice versa, it just feels like a natural thing, you know? Yeah. But, and obviously I did some research on you and looked at your numbers <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's quite impressive. And then I was like, really? Does she want me to fit in? Where's she see me fitting in? But then I thought, I spoke to Erin about it, my wife. And I was like, well, you know, I'm, I like my fitness. I like my yoga, I like my meditation. You know, and we were just talking off camera then briefly, and you said, how is Erin? Because obviously she's been ill and we were meant to do this before. Um, and today she was like hot and cold and um, having headaches and all sorts. And she was like, what is this? Is this period pains? Is this like, have I got the flu? 
you know, have I, is it a lack of sleep? Have I been training too hard? And um, we've been, even though it's Australia and it is it's not as cold as England, our swimming pool at the moment, which is in the shade all day, mm. it's Brisbane's winter and it drops to, ooh, 16 degrees, you know. But our swimming pool's about six degrees and we've got a sauna downstairs in the garage, which we never use. So over the last few weeks, we've been doing like 70 degree saunas, then jumping into the six degree pool. You are very brave. the body and, you know, gets rid of all your toxins and, and revitalizes you. And she did it today. She was just like, stuff it. I've been sick for three days. I've got nothing to lose. She went in the sauna, then in the pool, sauna, then pool. And she feels fine. Amazing. Yeah. And sometimes it is like looking after that well-being, isn't it? Of, you know, knowing what works for your body and knowing what works for you, like you say. And, you know, my first question to anybody who comes on the podcast is, when did you spiritually awaken? What's your story? So I guess you've mentioned you do like yoga and meditation things. So would you class yourself as like awakened? <laughs> um, I mean, for the, look, it's just a term that people, I suppose, if, I, if you'd asked me when I was 21, I would have gone, what's all that bollocks, you know? Um, and I've never really saw myself as a spiritual person. But then I kind of feel like my attitude is all about positive energy. And I believe I'm not the sort of person necessarily is, I'm not really into religion, but I don't really, um, it doesn't bother me. I, I, I don't think someone should be judged by their beliefs. I think they should be judged by their actions. Mm -hmm. So if whatever you worship or preach or read or meditate to or whatever helps you become a certain person, if your actions mean well and are positive, I'm all for it, whatever, you know, whatever you follow, whatever your chakra is, you know, whatever the vibes are. And I wasn't, uh, you know, I've never really been a big reader in terms of fiction, but I, I love nonfiction and I love facts. And because I do so many flights back and forth between uh, London and Australia, you know, last year I did 22 20 hour flights. Wow, that's so, brave. Know, that's like 400 hours on an aeroplane. Wow. Um, and I'm not gonna, you know, make out it's tough. I'm, I sit in business class, but I, I'm all about, you know, reading, um, you know, stuff to just to help, like brain exercises. I'm all about meditation. Sometimes I sit there to get to sleep, and I imagine my sons are now six and three, but I imagine them when they were babies asleep on my stomach and trying to, you know, uh, it's like connecting with the breathing, connecting with the thought of their breath being on my face and feeling their heartbeat and you know that really calms me especially on airplanes you know if it's turbulence or I haven't seen them for a month mm. and I suppose the real awakening came for me was um there's a drum and bass DJ producer who's also an artist graffiti artist actor uh called Goldie who's obviously a bit of a legend um you know if you're into your music you know him as a drum and bass guy if you're into your films you know him as a, a bad guy and you know uh, snatch and James Bond, and he's a really good friend of mine. And he always used to talk to me about, he's had a really turbulent lifestyle, really turbulent, you know, mm -hmm. gangs, drugs, orphanage, you know, like it's written about all in his books. Um, and he kind of spotted me maybe six, seven years ago when I was on a bit of a destructive path. And he was just like, you know, come and see your Uncle Goldie, mate. You need to go do some fucking yoga, mate. Get the yoga down you. And I was always, I was always like, I'm rock and roll. I go to the, I, you know, I'm like, I drink pints, I take drugs, I, I get on stage, I come on stage, I, I sober up, I go for a run, I go to the gym. That was my whole attitude 10 years ago. Mm. And he put me in touch with his yoga instructor and we started doing vinyasa. And, and then it all came together at once. It's almost like starting to be more sober, starting to write better music, 
um, having a better relationship with my parents, mm-hmm. um, being fitter, healthier, stronger, weighing less, eating better. I've always been a cook, but I started cooking even more, trying new things. So that's probably, you know, that was probably five years ago, just mm-hmm. after the birth of my first son. Amazing. And I think as well, like, everybody tries to put spirituality in a box of you either look spiritual when you're doing a certain thing or, you know, you must look a certain way, wear a certain thing, do a certain thing. And I think the one thing that I've learned along my journey is that there is no definition of it. It's your own journey, how you feel and what works for you at the end of the day. So I love that, you know, you don't put labels on it. You know, it's what works for you and what feels good for you as well. Well, I've always, I never really realized, but I've always been a bit of a hippie in terms of like, you know, I, I, I I love trying new things, but I'm also a bit of a free spirit, but I also like, I love everybody. I love having loads of different friends. I'm all about spreading love and positivity and, you know, donations, charitable donations, helping out random people. I had this thing a few years ago when I was promoting my album, Random Acts of Kindness, you know, Mm -hmm. I bought a fan a car. I treated a load of people who just got married to a boat party on the Thames, you know, as part of one of my music videos. Um, I flew some fans to a gig and I treated someone to a holiday, you know. And I, so I, I guess when I was doing these, I was trying to be clever in terms of marketing way. Mm-hmm. And then, but then I went and did an interview on Radio One and then the, the DJ was just like, stop, you know. You know, he said, you're, it's all good, you're being humble and all that, but he said, just say it, man. It's like, you're a spiritual guy, you love helping people, you know, you love, you believe in um, good vibrations and you believe in karma. And I was like, it's, it's true, because I've never been religious and I'm, you know, it was so funny the other day when the Zodiac star signs all shifted and then there's all this shit about anyone who's believed in this all along, you know, you've been lied to, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I do honestly believe that the more good energy and positivity you give out, the more you get back. And every day, I just try and do at least one good deed a day. Mm. Whether that's just calling someone in my family to tell them I love them and ask them how they are, or, you know, I drive around with some thermal underwear in the boot ready to hand out to homeless people Mm. people really need thermal underwear in Australia but you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs) it's the thought that counts (laughs) exactly so let's talk about inspirations then so for me your music has been an inspiration to me through the darkest times of my life and the lightest times of my life and I think that's the one thing I love about your music is that it has guided me through like my spiritual awakening plus my depression that I had kind of five years ago but even now in a much better space I still love all the hits as as much as before so who have been your biggest inspirations in life um I think um growing up you don't a lot of people don't realize it but it's usually their parents you know some some people a lot of my friends that I went to school with all came from single parent families and they all kind of worshipped their elder brother or their mum because they didn't have dads around and I guess I just felt kind of a bit scared to talk about my parents because they were still married with a lot of the kids I went to school with because probably 90% of them lived on the council estate and were raised by their mum so I w- it wasn't until I got much older and I looked back on my child and realized how fortunate and lucky I was to have both parents at home I mean my dad was away working a lot um, and sometimes we didn't see him all week and he'd come back at weekends. But my mum was essentially doing two jobs sometimes when he was away for a few weeks. But they're my first real inspiration. They, they came from quite, uh, you know, humble beginnings, um, working class and worked their way up onto the property ladder and 
like really, really worked their asses off from a very young age. And a lot of people in our family relied on them as well, you know, for counseling and for finance and, and help as well. So they were always an inspiration, but I don't think I realized it at the time. Mm. Like it's even that, you know, they're in there coming into their late sixties now and, and you feel the time is with them is, is less and less, but it's more precious because obviously I've got kids now. My parents live in Australia as well. They moved here 15 years ago. Um, and there was like a school teacher. Um, there's two actually, it was Mr. Hines, who um, was our school. I, I think I, I really looked up to this guy because he was a bit of a, a maverick. He was a, a, a black teacher in our school in South London. I just loved what he did for a lot of the, the kids in our school, especially the young black boys who didn't have role models. Mm. And he was amazing as a kid because he was a cool teacher as well. And there's another teacher, Mr. Snowden, who was amazing, who even though I didn't study music at school, I'd, I chose art and drama instead of music. But he used to let me use the school music department and a few of my other friends who I used to rap with when I was like 14, 15. He used to let us stay after school, out of school hours. So he was a big inspiration then. And then I kind of just, you know, just looked up to people along the way that, you know, like Mike Skinner who signed me back in 2005, you know, not really on a personal level, but on a songwriting level, um, really inspired me. Um, Dizzy Rascal just inspired me with just sort of how he just like behaved like almost like a, a heavy metal grunge star, you know, rather than a, a rap or a grime MC, you know, his whole attitude to everything was very rock, you know, his whole performance style, the way his show was thrown together was quite bombastic. Mm -hmm. So he was a big inspiration as well. And then meeting my wife, you know, everything from, you know, helping me to exercise more, party less, speak to my parents more, read more, obviously watching her go through pregnancy and breastfeed our kids and raise our kids for sometimes five or six weeks when I was away on tour. So, you know, in a lot, in cut a long story short, those are the sort of key people throughout my life, you know? Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. That so many people from like your school years, your family have all inspired you. Definitely. So what led you then to wanting to be an artist and create music? I mean, I think the main thing was a fear of a nine to five. Um, a lot of people I know getting, you know, there's a lot of people who work nine to fives who never realized their jobs in the creative world. And um, for me, it was like, I thought I wanted to be a filmmaker or an actor. And I honestly feel like I could end up in any of them. And I still, to this day, feel like I could end up doing them. I was, I was always obsessed with music. Like I religiously would listen to Wu-Tang Clan and Nirvana and uh, Metallica and Tribe Called Quest as a kid. And then I got into UK Garage and then I got into Jungle and I just used to learn everybody's lyrics. And because I was a, a discman, or Walkman, I, you'd only have everything on tape or CD. So you'd just be listening to the same CD sometimes over and over. And I never really thought that that would be my lane because there wasn't really anyone in the UK to look up to, especially in terms of a rapping sense, which is where I started. You know, this was before Mike Skinner, before Dizzy Rask. You know, there was a, couple of, a small UK hip hop scene with people like Roots Maneuver and Skinny Man. Um, but other than that, you know, I suppose like British black music up to that point, the breakout acts would have been something like Soul to Soul. But I guess in the UK, I was a white person making black music with no real, nobody to look up to. No, nobody who I was like, they're doing that, I can do that. And I didn't really know how much I wanted to earn or what you needed in life. You know, I knew, all I knew from my parents is you had to work hard and that you had to get a mortgage. But, you know, I was like, 
I knew more about film and theatre and acting than I did music. I didn't know how the music industry works. I didn't know anybody in the music industry. And, and a lot of my friends that I went to school with, a lot of the kids from council estates, in their minds, they were like, I'm going to, you know, <laughs> I, I think things have improved somewhat since then. You know, I'm 38, so I'm going back 22, 25 years. A lot of them were like, I can, I'm going to be a footballer or a drug dealer. That's how they thought. Mm. Um, or I might be a DJ, you know? But for me, I just kind of felt like I could be anything I wanted to be. I was, I was rubbish at science, but I was really good at maths. I had like summertime jobs doing paint and decorating, but I also worked with my auntie in a bank. And when I was 16, I got offered a full-time job in the bank. And my dad, who'd had a very tough upbringing and worked his way up to really a good position, encouraged me to take the job in the bank, but I guess my mum knew that my future lie in film or music. And I, I went to university and studied film. But whilst I was at university, I was recording rap demos in the, music, in the uh, sound booth where they recorded voiceovers for documentaries. Mm. So I guess what I'm saying is I've just, I've always been like a jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> and I quite, I quite easy, you could be talking to me now as, a, as an actor. Uh, rather than a, a rapper or a singer, you know, because when, when I started singing more, I started making dance music after the hip-hop thing didn't work. I started working with more producers who were making dance music rather than hip-hop beats. And the, the guy at Ministry of Sound who signed me was like, look, you're good at rapping and storytelling. I love the sound of your voice. Can you sing? And I was like, well, I haven't sung since I was 13 and my voice broke. I was playing um, Joseph and Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And whilst I was up there singing you know, go, 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 Jaws, if you know it, or whatever it was, it was, <laughs> any dream will do. My, my voice broke during rehearsals, mm -hmm. and then I kind of had this fear of singing since I was 14, and then I didn't try it for probably another 10 years after that. Amazing. And I, I'm, it's not like I've got one of the best singing voices ever, but I've, I've got quite a distinctive voice. I think people hear the start of any of my songs and straight away they're like, yeah, there's example. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. It's a recognisable voice as well. And I think, like you say, it was probably quite a big deal for you to overcome that fear and be like, right, I'm going to sing as well now, as well as rapping and kind of go into. And I think like what you say as well of being a jack of all trades, like I think when I was growing up, I did acting and performing arts as well. And never did I think that I would be doing what I do today but all of that has been so valuable because it all contributed to that like stage confidence and you know being on stage well, I've never been scared of being on stage so my mum realized right that I was probably a bit ADHD when I was like eight seven or eight years old and disruptive in class because I'd finish a lot of the assignments really quickly and then have nothing to do so I was just winding the teacher up or doing impressions of the teacher and quite smart my mum realized rather than you know tell me off she'd need to channel channel my energy into something else and she put me on stage mm. and that worked for me even at like eight years old and that's carried through until now you know and I, it's, it's been really tough dealing with isolation not being able to have that outlet of performance which is really important to me um because I love being on stage more than I love being in the studio and then you know somehow I've ended up recording the whole album in isolation. And everyone, including yourself, really is enjoying it. But just quickly, I went to ask you, what are, when you said you were depressed, what are some of the songs of mine that, I suppose, got you through it? Or yeah, so that, that, that you felt spoke to you? Because it always amazes me when 
I write write a song about being a cheating bastard ten years ago, or you know, <laughs> not calling my mum enough, or spending too many nights in clubs up till late. But then people hear the songs and then tell me what the story means to them. So what what's your some of your favourites? Natural Disaster has to be my all time favourite song, and although the, the lyrics <laughs> that's my eldest son's favourite. Is it? Oh. Yeah, and that's, he doesn't even know what a natural disaster is, which is amazing. <laughs> and I think, like, although the lyrics aren't the most positive, I, at the stage of depression, it it's the music, it's the beats, it is the music rather than the lyrics, but also the lyrics as well make it for me. So even in my darkest times, it was that outlet of just that, like, Ah, like getting everything out but then also now I listen to it to raise my vibes and to feel positive as well so I really feel that song can like shift my mood whatever um and I think like change the way you kiss me again I loved that one but I think playing in the shadows was the album which particularly was at that time of my life and that I think as a whole just all of the songs just spoke to me as such and was just like, and I feel as well, like I don't, obviously I don't know for you, you can correct me, but it feels like that was also a a transition for you through that album. Yeah, I think Playing in the Shadows was me coming to terms with, wow, I'm not actually a good person. I was never self-loathing and I don't think I was ever depressed because I was, luckily for me, I was surrounded by so many people all the time. Um, you know, I was on tour most of that those few years. I, I was doing probably a hundred gigs a year. So a third of the year, I was on planes and in hotels and partying with people. So you don't really have time to get depressed. Mm-hmm. And then my days off, I was seeing friends and family or going out and seeing girls and you know doing interviews and doing TV shows and rehearsals and then going to the gym and going for a run and then writing songs for the next album. Mm-hmm. So I was so busy. You know, two or three years probably felt like a few months. And then I started writing The Evolution of Man, my fourth album, which even in the title itself, Playing in the Shadows is like, the title itself is, I'm in a dark place, whether that's the club or your brain or whatever. But I had all this money coming in, but I didn't really have time to spend it, which was kind of good in a way, because it was like, it was just there for me to, when I come down to buy a house and settle down. And then Evolution of Man, you know, there's songs which are like an apology to my ex-girlfriend, like all my lows, then there's songs about me realizing I need to be a better person, like the Evolution of Man title track, you know, where the lyrics are, I'm getting better, I'm living better. And then you've got stuff like um, Crying Out for Help, which is again in the title, Uh, Blood from a Stone is in the title, Um, and Perfect Replacement, which was kind of like, it felt a bit mean, because on on one song I'm apologizing to my ex-girlfriend, and then on the same album I'm saying I've found your perfect replacement. So, um, but whether that maybe, maybe that means that it could mean that Erin meeting my wife was the perfect replacement for partying as well. So it's, everything has so many different meanings, but I honestly feel like those two albums, the best songwriting I've ever done. And they're kind of like a a, a film, a massive blockbuster film and with its sequel, that's how they feel to me. They're they're kind of like part one, part two, like they they could have come out as a double disc album. Uh, Evolution of Man is obviously more guitar led and playing the shadows is more synth-led and you know darker dubsteps, trance. And then I feel everything after that was a bit of a mess and a bit of a blur because I was so happy in life, in love with Erin, but my music output and quality was questionable. Mm. And then kind of got myself back on track with All Night, I suppose, a few years ago. Just yeah. the video and the song itself just sort of put me back in everyone's consciousness. 
Show Me How to Love did the same. And then I've had a sort of a, a succession of big club bangers. And then this album, Some Nights Last for Days, written and recorded in isolation. And even though it hasn't charted high and so, you know, like I think Playing in the Shadows did like a million copies. Mm. This album's uh, had like five million streams. And I didn't really know what to aim for this new album, but the main thing is, is everybody who's heard it is like, this is, this speaks to me. You know, mm. this, it, it's helping me through isolation. It's lifting my spirits. It's so relatable. It's like, it's helped me through my divorce. It's helped me through being made redundant. It's spiritually awakened me. You know, the amount of DMs I've had, I've had thousands of DMs and comments regarding this album and that, that kind of made it all worthwhile. And this album was kind of therapy for me. It helped me get through isolation, even though Australia was nowhere near as bad as the UK, you know? Mm, definitely. And fun fact for you as well, with Perfect Replacement, I was one of the fans in your music video. <laughs> wow. That was many moons are you ago. Are you visible in the video? Well, no, but I would like to say there's like a, a glimpse of my head. That's what I always claim. So that, <laughs> that was done by Emil Nava, directed that. So Emil does all of Calvin Harris's videos hmm. and did most of Ed Sheeran's videos. And I did like two or three videos with him and Perfect Replacement was actually amazing. I was so busy on tour that they shot most of the video without me. And I turned up for one hour to perform the song four times and then they put me in a car and sent me to the airport or something. That was just like how mental my life was back then. That's the mad thing is when people, I don't even think back then I would have even had time to do podcasts because I wouldn't even have the attention span. I wouldn't have had time to do yoga because I wouldn't have had the attention span. Yeah. I wouldn't have had the time to read or to meditate or even to just do breathing exercises, you know? Mm -hmm. I was so... When I was, you know, traveling and on stage and sometimes recording, I was high or drunk. And then when I wasn't high or drunk, I was just frantically running, literally running miles, you know, trying to be as fit and strong as possible and see as many friends and family as possible. I was just this complete, you know, like this cyborg, just fueled on adrenaline and, and drugs and alcohol and exercise and love and you know, all these amazing mega, like, human things. Yeah. But now, my life now, which is just like, I suppose I'm still, it's still rewarding, or even more rewarding, but it just all revolves entirely around my kids and reading their emotions and their faces and seeing them develop and making them happy and cooking for them and washing their clothes and reading to them and helping them with homework and swimming lessons and... Before you know it, the whole day's out. Mm. And it kind of feels like 10 years ago when the whole day's just disappeared. Like, where did today go? And now it's like, it's the same, but everything's obviously way more um, like productive. So let's talk about then your decision to leave your traditional kind of record label then. So two years ago, you made the decision to leave and release your music independently. So what led you to that decision? Um, I think like the, the record industry is a very messed up place. There's, there's some amazing people. There's also a lot of snakes. Um, but maybe that's just life in general. You know, like the film industry, I hear the same. There's loads of good people. There's also lots of disgusting people you know there's there's a lot of sexism still there's a lot of um abuse of power 
Um, there's a, you know, I, I've seen, I wouldn't say I've seen lots of racism, uh, uh, but there's definitely a lot of bigots and there's a lot of egos and especially at the big labels, you know. Um, and I left Ministry of Sound, who are an independent label, but then eventually they were bought by Sony where I ended up. I had like four, five really frustrating years there um, from like 2013 to 2018. I put out one album and then probably three singles and I kept getting passed around and no one knew what to do with me and I didn't know what to do. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Do myself, I'd lost faith. And I mean, the main thing you got to understand is like, in that time, iTunes, where I was, you know, always in the, visible in the top 10, 20 on iTunes for, for like three or four years. I had this period where I nearly always had something in the top 10, top 20 albums and singles, which is, you know, an, an amazing achievement. But then as soon as iTunes changed, then it all became about streaming. There's not many artists who've changed with the times. Mm. Obviously, there's your Adele's and there's Sheeran's and Calvin Harris, but they're on such a scale that it doesn't really matter. It's, you know, you just keep delivering huge songs. I was always like this person who's just completely focused on touring. And I think I kind of took my eye off the ball because I was, I'm from the MySpace generation, but I was never really big on MySpace or, or SoundCloud. And yet iTunes, I was huge on iTunes. You know, that was like my era. And then I kind of was a bit late to Spotify. And I think the label realized I was a bit late to Spotify and, then there's the politics games to play of how do I get on this playlist and how do we, are you still relevant? And they keep, people always ask these questions. Are you relevant? Are you credible? Are you relevant? It's all utter bollocks. It's just like, listen to the song. How good's the song? You know what I mean? I'm beyond needing to worry about relevance. Um, regardless of what I'm talking about in my songs, it's just like, well, it's, it's just me. I can't really be anything else other than me. Yeah. And yeah, so it was kind of released, reached this agreement where they were like, look, do you want to leave? And I was like, yeah, I want to leave. And they were like, cool. We won't say we've dropped you if you don't say that you, you hate us. <laughs> and 
it was kind of left like that. And, and then I set up my own label. And like right now, my return for me and my label and what I choose to give to the people who feature my songs or produce my songs and write my songs, I get 85%. Whereas when I was on Sony, I was getting 22%. It's a big difference. It's a huge difference, but, and also that when you're on a major label, every, there's so many people involved. There's like 15 people involved maybe in a single with marketing and branding and, um, you know, the music videos and the remixers and the radio pluggers and the TV pluggers and the press people and the online people. And they're all lovely people and they're all doing a job, but essentially I'm like, I just need my songs played in the clubs. And, you know, I might be lucky to get a few spins on Radio One or Kiss FM. Uh, I've got a great idea for the video. I'm going to direct it and edit it myself. I'm going to put a little bit of ad spend behind it, maybe a few grand. And it's kind of like my own little economy, you know, and understand how to make money and sort of keep my music alive to feed the gig booking. So it's kind of like, I'm like, this is my business model and I'm going to stick to it. Yeah. And I answer to me, I decide what songs to put out. Everybody gets paid and treated fairly. I shoot the videos myself for like no money. When, when you're on a major label, I mean, when we shot probably the music video for Kickstarts and Change the Way You Kiss Me, they were probably spending 40, 50,000 pounds on a video and there'd be 30 people on set, maybe more. I mean, you said you were there, you saw like amount of extras and cameras and makeup. And when I shot all night, it's just Erin and I dancing in the living room mm-hmm. and it's had 25 million views and it cost the bottle of wine. You know, not every song is going to be as big as All Night, but I'm just happy, really, because I mean, I was, I had, I've had 30 gigs cancelled this summer, which is obviously not great because I, I can afford to miss them. But my manager and my DJ, you know, both got two kids. Mm. They need to feed their kids and families. So it's tough on them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all the people who'd be playing before and around me on the lineups who, you know, might be getting paid a grand or two grand or whatever, 500 quid to do these support slots. And that, this money is vital to their existence and to them making more music. So it's, I think I've spent a lot of time reflecting over the last few months about how happy I am to be self-sufficient and out of the label system, but how helpless I feel in not being able to provide a enjoyment and escapism for fans that then be you know income for my friends Mm, and colleagues so was it scary for you then when you did walk away and kind of embark on this adventure by yourself did you think oh god what am i doing (laughs) no i i I mean look i in one day i just sort of set up everything you know administration administration administratively speaking um and you know mechanically in terms of the royalties and the label and the accounts and the the labels named after my two granddads who i never knew stan and eric stan eric um i mean they both died before my first birthday which i thought was a nice tribute to them but the main thing was just like um i was sat on a load of music which i just couldn't wait for people to hear Mm. and you know when you're like Say you've got a picture that you've taken or a, pic- a, a painting you've done. And, or, you know, even if you've just done a really amazing face with makeup or you've painted your nails or you've designed a t-shirt or all these sort of things, you know, 
whether you people cross themselves as creative or not, everybody has these little things that they do. You know, you might have built a fucking Lego castle with your son and you just wish the whole world could see it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's only you and your partner who see it or you and your mum or whatever. And I was sat on all these songs which were like my babies, you know? And, and I was like, no one's getting to hear them. And you're sat in a meeting room and then the label are like, yeah, I think we should change the kick drum or lose the ending or change that word on the chorus. And you're like, fucking shut up, this song's amazing. Or, you know, it's not going to be a number one single, but let's just put it out. It's a great song. Someone will relate to it. So by the time I set up my own label, all I, I wasn't scared. I was just relieved. Mm. And this it's thing- like, I can finish a song on a Monday and have it out by Thursday if I want now. Mm. Which is good, good for you for that creative outlet, isn't it? And I guess this leads oh, yeah. me perfectly to my next question is how important is it to you to create authentic music on your terms that feels good to you? Um, I, th- I think that's the key thing is look, like, don't get me wrong. Like, so when I wrote Kickstarts, which was a massive turning point in my career and my creative uh, methods and like, my, my thought process, I wrote that song on the way back from Glasgow to London in the back of a bus. I think I was supporting Lily Allen at the time and I was sort of thinking about splitting up with my girlfriend, but I knew she'd kind of want me back and I'd want her because I was lonely because my parents moved to Australia. And that's kind of like where I came up with the lyric, holding your hand, holding it loose um, on Kickstarts. And I played it to the record label and they're like, this is fucking unbelievable, it's a hit. But then it took 26 versions of that song to get to the one you hear. So the label were very, this one guy, Dave Dollymore at Ministry of Sound, who's now head of RCA Records at Sony. He was very good at kind of letting me go out and do what I wanted, but then refining my songs so well. So they were like, sounded like global hits. Mm. And I think maybe the only thing I'm lacking now is that I know I can still write a banger. And I kind of like, I chatted to Ed Sheeran about this. It's like, you know, we, whenever I'm with him, we play each other songs a lot. And, I might play him 20 songs and he'll only think one of them's amazing. And I'm like, I think 10 of these are amazing. He's like, nah, and he'll play me 20 songs. But he's, always, he's usually written 100 songs to get five amazing ones. And he's like one of the best in the world. So going, writing songs is like going to the gym. You know, you just like practice and it's like muscle memory and fitness. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like if I keep this output coming of songs, invariably every now and again one of them's going to be a fucking absolute monster and I kind of felt like we got that with Show Me How To Love and All Night they're probably my two biggest best songs of like the last three years so I'm kind of just like I know I can deliver these songs but what I'm missing is what I had at Ministry of Sound where this guy David Dollymore was like refining 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 sometimes you know we record a demo and then the one you hear on Spotify is maybe version nine Mm. Uh, I'm sometimes thinking now thinking that, you know, sometimes it's version 26 or version 31 or version 90, as in just keep making the mix better or go and re-record my vocal or change that word. And I think I'm just, I get, it's a combination of being impatient and just wanting to get the song out. Laziness, um, maybe because I'm on the time difference between London and Australia. It's like I go to bed and I'm not in the studio with that person. So I'm not there with the engineer and producer with the same energy to complete it mm-hmm. or it's just sort of like just feeling like I've been doing this for 15 years now I know what I'm doing mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily think any of them are bad because I'm not disappointed with the quality of my songs but 
it's just great to just go, I really like this song right now. It's making me happy. My kids are dancing to it. My mum likes it. My wife likes it. My manager thinks it's great. Let's just stick it out. I'm sure someone in the clubs are going to play this. The counter argument might be, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. Why don't you just take a break from music and just really refine your songwriting and the music production and mix down so when you come back with something, it's as big as Change The Way You Kiss Me and it blows everyone away. So it's, you know, it's two sides of the coin. It's like, I don't know if I'm ever gonna have a global hit again. I mean, what even is a hit nowadays? Sometimes it's not even a number one, but it might have a hundred million streams. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is I'm just, I'm so happy right now with family and life and my health and fitness. And, you know, obviously all these gigs canceled this year, but last year I did 60 odd gigs, great festivals, you know, headlining dance stages or second on the main stage or whatever. A few trip, you know, a few gigs to Eastern Europe and I beat the, it's like, sometimes you have to pinch yourself. And like, I'm still doing this after, you know, 15 years. The first eight years of those 15 years, I was broken, not finding any success. And not, I was told I wasn't, I was told in 2009, I wouldn't ever be played on Radio One. Mm. So some people are like happy, you know, with one hit and then they disappear and they're like, well, at least I gave it a go. I don't really know what my goals are. I don't know if I'm going to get back to arenas. I don't know if I'm going to headline festivals again. I don't know if one day I could play stadiums, but I've never overthought it. So... Mm. Definitely. And I think with that positive energy, you never know what could happen. Because I think, you know, you've surprised yourself with your latest. I've surprised myself with everything up to this point. So I'd rather just keep making music I love that means something to me. And then I know will mean something to my fans. And then just be like, wow, that was the one that I wasn't expecting. And we've, you know, I don't sit there and make music to get more Instagram followers, you know? Yeah. Good. I'm glad with that one. So what advice do you have for any creatives or business owners who are struggling to get their authentic voice or message heard with traditional roots? So this could be like publishing, poetry, music, like what advice do you have for them? I think the most, uh, see that if I was someone who like, you know, a classic soul voice and I was regarded as one of the best singers in the world, then my, my answer would probably be quite different to what I'm going to say. And my answer is like, I've always been so unique. I feel like not tried to be unique. I've just been me. You know, my, when I first came out, the way I dressed, when my hair, the way my hair looked, you know, my big goofy teeth, like my sense of humor, which seemed a bit office, the opposite to the dark gothic sort of moody songs I was writing. And it was a voice that you didn't really hear in the clubs. It wasn't a soulful voice. And then I rapped a bit and I didn't sound like, you know, Dizzy Rascal. And I didn't have a master plan for this, but I had good people around me who just encouraged me to be myself. Hmm. Like my mum encouraged me to be myself at a very young age. And, you know, when I'd be bullied at school and then I got bullied at college and a little bit of university or just like general banter and piss taking, but I never let it harm me. Like I was always really thick skinned. Hmm. And I just think whatever you do, like I can only advise people who want to stand out from the crowd and some people have great success being generic and giving people what they want and that's fine because people need that as well but I can only really speak for people who are like me who are like rogues who are mavericks who are just like you know uh the black sheep you know that kind of vibe I'm I was always a classroom clown 
And I was always concerned with how I looked and trying to impress people. And the moment I stopped worrying about impressing people and just worrying about what made me happy, everything fell into place. The moment I stopped writing songs for radio and wrote songs for me, I started writing the best songs again. The moment I didn't sit there and overthink a music video, I'd wake up in the middle of the night to go to the toilet. And then I'd, as I'm walking back to, my, to the bed, I get an idea for a music video and I just sit there and write it down on my phone. And then I'm like, oh, what's the single, what's the album cover going to be? And then all of a sudden I'm just out one day and I see an advert on a billboard and it just comes to me. And not everybody's like that. But for me, I'm just, I, I'm very impulsive. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess what I'm saying is do everything yourself. Mm-hmm. If you can do everything yourself effectively, um, you know, you get to a point where you start building your team of people around you, whatever job or industry you do. If they can see that you can do every single bit of that, you know what I mean? It's sort of like the respect you have, but also your confidence in yourself in guiding people. It's like, you know, I'm in a studio with someone. I'm not as good at playing piano as the guy producing, but I might jump up on a piano and play a little riff. And they're like, whoa, that's fucking catchy as fuck. <laughs> and then you're on set with the camera guys and you're like, maybe we should sw- switch the lens to this over here. And all these sort of things, I don't know, you, you, not everybody can learn these skills, but for me, it's just like, I'm just so eager to learn new things and better myself. And I just, I'm just so adventurous. I just want, I've got so much energy for life. I just want to constantly go out there and discover and find new things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just, I'm now running a business, but my understanding of stats and streams and income, and I can pretty much price up a gig going into it like with flights and costs and trucks and hotels and taxes and insurance and fees for my DJ and lighting and visuals guy before I've even done the gig. So I got, I got into music because I love creating, but my business brain is just there all the time. And I know some people who go to a gig and they don't even know what they're, they're getting paid for it. Yeah. Or they, t- they might be getting 50 grand a gig, but they've flown 15 of their mates to get there and they're getting a private jet home. And I'm like, you know, you've spent your whole fee. And they're like, no, I've got 50 grand. The private jet was 15 grand. I'm like, yeah, what about your manager is taking 20% and your agent is taking 10% and yeah. you're splitting it with your other DJ and then you're paying 50% tax. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm going to lose money on this gig. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and, and then they come to Australia and they see my house and like, so and like, fucking hell. So like, yeah, I don't have a Rolex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it sounds like you're a great business. private jets everywhere. I still wear free clothes that I'm sent. And, you know, I bought a couple of silly cars, but I sold them for more money than I made. And I love, a, I love trainers, but I don't really wear, I don't really go out and buy them. I just, you know, hustle and get sent them. And, and I shoot a music video for a grand and it looks like it costs 10, 10 grand. So, I mean, my advice is just like, think like me. No, my advice is just, you know, hustle where you can. About being using people because I never use people I'm always I always you know if anything I give my anyone I've come across I give them bonuses and I I treat them more fairly than I've ever been treated it's more just just being smart yeah you know and and when people and I see people a lot in when they do interviews like whether it's filmmakers or songwriters they say yeah I'm 50% business minded 50% creatively and then you get people go oh well that's not being a true artist it's like well no fuck it is in this day and age Otherwise, you so you end up having no success potentially, 
And then you're one of those people who are like, I could have been that, but I didn't do that. And it's like, well, you've got to understand both sides of the coin. It's like, yeah. it doesn't distract from your ability as an artist to stand up there and say, I'm a really fucking proud businessman. Yeah. And I really, really have a lot of faith in my understanding of um, how, these, how this industry works and, you know, the mechanics of um, streaming and how much royalties I get. And I know every, I know before I even look at my earnings for the year, I've got a rough idea in my head of how much I'm going to get after tax, you know? Yeah. And that's always um, good to have. Yeah. And there's just so many people who are like, they have an amazing product or they have an amazing name for their business or for their DJ name. And then it just, and then, but then all the simple, the really simple things, you just think, how have you fucked it up so badly? <laughs> you know, and I'm just trying to help them. I'm not laughing at them. I'm trying to help them. So let's talk about your new exciting album then. So what exciting in- album? <laughs> so what inspired you to create and release an album, which is Some Nights Last for Days during lockdown? Well, let me firstly tell you about the name quickly because actually I don't think I've revealed this yet. Um, I maybe I, actually it says it on the CD um, cover, and then we only did like a thousand CDs as a limited edition, but. When my wife has given birth to our first, Evander, who's going to be six at Christmas, um, I was like, so, uh, Shazza. She's like, don't call me Shazza, Elliot, it's Sharon. So like, yeah, so Sharon, how long do these things usually take? She was like, what? I was like, the birth. She went, well, Elliot, could be aired in a few minutes, but some nights last for days. And I was like, that's fucking brilliant. I'm going to use that one day for a song or an album. So that's, this is sort of like an idea that I've always wanted to be sat on. Like, sorry, an idea I've been sat on that I've always wanted to release. And then when isolation sort of happened, I got back to Australia on March the 10th. My last gig was London Forum, uh, March the 7th, sold out, perfect night to the end of tour. You know, Professor Green and Retry 2 came out on stage. All my best friends were there, you know, from school and university and the industry. And when I got back home and then it was like everybody else's tour was cancelled. Like the day I got back to Australia, all my Australian gigs were cancelled. And then a week later, it was like, stay in your house. You can't leave your house. You know, you can leave for an hour's exercise with your kids every day. Yeah. And it was a gift and a curse because it was like, I hadn't seen my family for five weeks, but now I get to see my kids all day, every day. Amazing. <laughs> um, obviously, they sent us wild after a few weeks. So loving that. And then I was just like, I posted a freestyle of me rapping in the car. Mm-hmm. which became Paper Clips, which is track one on the album, like the album intro. And it had 100,000 views in a day and 1,000 comments. And everyone's just like, oh, I'll do more rapping, do more freestyle. So I did another one and then another one. And then I just said to my manager, can we get some beats knocked up? So I, I had a, a few riffs where I was like humming piano chords into a voice note mm-hmm. that my producer back in England, he's the same guy who's done like all night and click and do it so well. He'd done all my recent singles. He was knocking up beats, sending them to me. I was writing a chorus, recording it in a studio over here, obviously not touching the engineer and <laughs> sanitizing and whatever. And then sending it back to the UK and then I'd, they send it back to me and I'd record a verse and I sent it back there and then I'd call, I'd message Calvin Harris in LA, have you got any knock, beats knocking around? He's like, oh yeah, I've got some leftover beats from Funk Wild Volume Bounces, whatever. So he'd send me a few beats and then in the space of eight weeks, we had a whole album. Incredible. And even though there's like, probably four or five tracks which were sat around maybe for the last two, three years, like Chronicles and Break the Chains were like demos. 
that I thought were brilliant but weren't right for what I was doing. So we sort of resurrected them, improved them, re-recorded, mixed them better, mastered them. And then there was 10 brand new tracks, all with features on where I was just texting people like, Oi, have you got access to a microphone? No, but it's you, so I'll drive an hour to record it for you. And then here you have this album, which somehow feels like it speaks about COVID and quarantine, but also deals with, I don't know, being stuck in a room with someone you love and going crazy. And, and is the world really okay? Are, are we ever going to get through this? Is, you know, are we too fucked up now at this point? Are we, is, are we beyond repair? Mm-hmm. And I think some nights last for days is not only testament to, you know, how isolation can just last, you know, sat in a, I was FaceTiming so many people in England who were sat in one bedroom apartments with their partners, just like going mad, mm. you know, like it didn't matter how many push-ups they were doing or how healthy they were trying to eat or how much yoga they were doing or meditation or sleeping or trying to get fresh air or reading. They were like, we tried having sex all day. That was good for a day. Now we hate each other. Uh, we tried home cooking for a week, but now we just want to eat Domino's all day, every day. Uh, we tried being sober for a week, but now we're drinking a bottle of Jack Daniels a day. Uh, we think we want kids. We think we want a divorce. We think we want kids. We think we want a divorce. We've seen every film on fucking Netflix, you know? So in Australia, it wasn't so bad. We've got a decent sized home, got a garden and a swimming pool, and we were allowed out the house quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So I, even though we were missing the time that kids are at school to have adult time, we were coping. Yeah. But then most of the lyrics that I was writing were inspired by aforementioned people back in England just going, <laughs> oh, I think I'm a drug addict. Oh, I think I hate my wife. Oh, my God, I'm eating so much pizza. I need mm-hmm. a haircut. You know, this shit. <laughs> as I'm sure you can relate to some of that. Or, you know, people who, you know. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. So one quick question then before you have to leave us today. What is one piece of life advice that you would like to leave my listeners with? Oh my God, haven't I given enough already? <laughs> you have, but any other pearls of wisdom? <laughs> I just honestly, I just think try everything once, you know? I, when you see that film, Yes Man, mm-hmm. with Jim Carrey, I know it's, like, it's a stupid like, analogy, but um, I don't know. I've, look, when it, put it this way, I don't eat seafood and I tell everyone I'm allergic and it's bullshit, I'm not allergic. I just hate the smell <laughs> and taste of it. But everything outside of that, I give a go, you know, whether it's bungee jumping or skiing or swimming with sharks, you know, getting into a cage with great whites around you or, you know, I've made homemade naan bread the other day and it was the best fucking thing I've ever had. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> you know, visiting places you've never, never, ever been before and, and a film that you just think that's absolutely not me or, you know, a style of music that I never thought that I'd make or just shaving your head you know these sort of things I just the enjoyment you get out of you know when because a lot of people always come to me and they go look I've been offered this I've been trying what do you think I should do just try it man yeah and they're like but it's this but it's crazy it's fucking I'm like fucking go for it mm-hmm. you know and I, I really think that's I kept putting off trying yoga for so long and then I tried it and then after the first one I was like I'm not sure and I think by probably the sixth or seventh session I was hooked and it was life-changing in a way because it was like it allowed me to recover so much better from 
touring, from bouncing around on stage, from long flights, from tra- you know, training too hard, from injuries, from stress. And I just, you know, everyone needs to find, the, find their equivalent of that. Yeah. There's only, you know, you can listen to podcasts and watch films all day and listen to albums all day, but you need to find th- this, this thing. And it's usually to do with, I don't know, just self-preservation, isn't it? You know, in terms of like your, your breathing, your, your health, your skin, you know, your oxygen intake, your, how much sunlight you're getting. These are all things I would have laughed about 10 years ago. <laughs> and, um, you know, these are just things that I swear by now. You know, even just talking earlier about, you know, jumping out the sauna into a freezing cold pool, back into the sauna into a freezing cold pool. I just like, felt invigorated afterwards. It's like better than a coffee. Well, thank you so much, Elliot, for this today. It's been such a pleasure having you on and obviously getting to chat with you and hear your amazing advice. So thank you so much for coming on, Elliot. I hope your listeners have loved it. Uh, And uh, we'll do this again in a few years, maybe. Yes, absolutely. So thank you so much, guys, for joining me for another one of my podcast episodes today. I really hope you've enjoyed Elliot and I's conversation. And of course, you can find a clickable link to all of Elliot's work in the description down below. And if you want to learn anything more about my work, my coaching, or anything else that I have to offer, like my videos, you can find it all over on my website, emmamumford.co.uk. So thank you so much guys for listening today. I appreciate all your views and listens. Don't forget to subscribe if you're new here because I would love, love to see you again soon. And don't forget you can join my free Law of Attraction support group over on Facebook where you can join myself and other like-minded souls where we talk all things Law of Attraction and spirituality. I hope you have a great week, whatever you're up to, and I'll see you all in my next podcast episode, which will be next week. Lots of love, guys. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.